Hello, everyone, and welcome to Digital Roadmap, an old-school gaming podcast where we explore how the games of the past brought us the games that we love today. I'm your host, Grant, and today we're discussing The Castle of Dr. Brain. This was an edutainment adventure game from Sierra back in 1991. Now, there are going to be some spoilers for the game. It doesn't have a huge story, but some of the puzzles, some of the minimal plot of this game are going to be spoiled throughout the course of this. So, as always, you've been warned. And let's just get right into this. Now, I know this may be shocking coming from Sierra, but this game was a point-and-click adventure, so you're using your mouse for everything. It really does have a very much one-button interaction, partially because this was a great game for the Mac that, at the time, only had one button on its mouse. I mean, this is from an era when Mac was a profitable platform for games, just like very recently, up until their newest update, which broke a bunch of games and has other games like Rocket League, for example, no longer supporting Mac as a platform. Gameplay-wise, you're basically traveling through different zones in this game, and it's a very linear game. It's very one zone to the next. There's no backtracking on this. And each zone has a series of puzzles that you have to complete before you can open the next. And each room kind of has a theme to it. So the front door of the game itself, your very first screen you come into, there's only one puzzle, and it is a, I think it was about a five-round game of Simon. And if you don't remember what Simon is, it is, or I never got the chance to experience it because you're not old like I am. It's a game where you're basically repeating the pattern that's presented to you. So yellow, red, blue, you then hit yellow, red, blue, and it gets more complex each round. Now, depending on the difficulty you pick in the game, which had three different difficulty settings, you can either go from the very basic, which is just the stones above the door, being what you have to follow the pattern on to every single thing on the screen. Like I was hitting flamingos and pulling ribbons at times. It's It gets very complex as you go along. Then you get into the first hall, which is a series of math and sliding puzzles. It's a very big focus on mathematical logic. This is where also where the copy protection comes into play for the game. So in the first main room of the castle, you end up getting a few keywords and you have to enter in the correct code that represents those keywords found in the manual for the game. It's the only time you come across it. It's just proving that you own the game so you can play the rest of it as you go along. The second room becomes very time-themed. You're dealing with clocks and timing puzzles. And it goes on like that. Each room has a theme. There's a constellation and space-themed one. And then three times throughout the game, you end up in a quote-unquote elevator that really is just a box going through a maze that takes place over multiple levels, like up and down. If you want to do this your own way, keep a a pad, a full pad of graph paper on hand when you're playing. You can try it if you want to. I personally would suggest just grabbing a walkthrough. I made it through, I think, the first one on my own through sheer luck. But when you get to the second elevator, it gets even more complicated. Just, just grab a walkthrough and follow its path. Now, in each zone of this game, you do get trophies for your puzzles. Actual trophies in the game, not achievements or PlayStation trophies or Steam achievements or anything like that. And at the very end of the game, you have to use all these trophies on a board, essentially proving that you've gone through everything, which you have to to get there. And it's just used as the key code to solve the final puzzle. Now, mechanically, this game is interesting because it is one of Sierra's no-fail games. If you get something wrong, you can correct it. You can try again. If you get a puzzle wrong, you get to keep going at it. This makes it really accessible for younger players. This is a great game educationally for them because it doesn't say you fail, go back, start again. It says, hey, that's not the right answer. Give it another shot. Try and figure out where you're going with this. 
Now, one of the other nice things mechanically is each area, most of the areas at least, have multiple puzzles you can approach at a single time. This means you can, if you bounce off of one of them, if you have a hard time with one, you can take some time, clear your head, move on to one of the other puzzles and come back to that afterwards. Maybe you'll have a different perspective to come at it from. Now, the nice thing with this, as I said, it is a no-fail game and each zone is self-contained. So that means you don't have to, and for that matter, you can't backtrack to earlier in the game to find something that you happen to forget or something that you didn't complete properly. You can't move on until you've completed that zone. Which, given this is not long after the period of text-based Sierra games where there was a lot of that happening, where you would get halfway through the game and realize something in that first area was crucial and you didn't grab it and you've now become stuck and probably just die constantly. Now, graphically, this is very much in the early to mid-era Sierra cartoony style art. By what I mean is it's very hand-drawn look to it. It's got a very stylized look to it, which ages so well. This game still looks like a blast when you go to it now because it's a very cartoony style. I've said before on the show, the more stylized your art, the better the game ages. The better it looks, the better it gets on. You don't have the issues of, say, the original Tomb Raider, which looks very blocky and very dated by today's standards. Story-wise, there's really not a lot going on in this game. You have come to the castle because Dr. Brain is looking for a new lab assistant, and this game is your job test. That's it. It's literally a little classified ad clip-out shown in the manual, and that's all. Giving to charity is a good thing. Giving to charity and getting a game in return is an even better thing. With the Humble Store, you can do just that. When you buy from the Humble Store, a portion of every purchase goes to charity. It doesn't matter if you buy a single game, one of their game or book bundles, or their monthly bundle deal. Every purchase helps out a great cause. Humble includes a wonderful collection of new releases, indie darlings, and even the time-tested classics. Games like Orwell, where you serve as a member of a government surveillance program, deciding the information to pass up the chain of command? Do you ignore the context and make someone look like just an unhinged killer? Or do you ignore your instincts, even at the risk to public safety, just to make sure you don't give the wrong details? One of the classics that I love and I keep going back to is Fallout, the original. It's a post-apocalyptic game that launched the whole series. Can you find the water chip needed to save your people before time runs out? And I don't even want to get into the rest of the story after that happens. After you win your objective, there's a whole other story that pans out that's also very crucial. And as an added bonus for listeners of this podcast, if you buy anything after following the link in the show notes, a small portion of your purchase is going to be given to the show. This helps support the kind of content you're listening to right now, helps offset some of our hosting costs. So if you were looking for a new game or to get a classic that won't run off the discs anymore because it just doesn't run on modern systems, go to the Humble Store using the links in the show notes and get something for your donation. Now, the soundtrack for this game, for the most part, it's just atmospheric music. It works, it fits, it gives you a nice background music when you don't need to worry about audio from anything else. Obviously, you don't get this on the very first screen of the game, the doorway, because you need to hear the sounds as kind of a mnemonic device to remember what you're triggering in your pseudo-Simon game. One of the really nice things about the music in this game, though, is that it does have a great spin on the classic horror song that's used called, it's basically Box, Toccata, and Fugue. If you hear it, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I'm going to link to the actual theme for this game in the show notes. It, 
basically it starts with that classic riff, that classic organ riff, and then spins into a very 90s pop arrangement of it. And I mean super 90s pop arrangement. The other thing I want to acknowledge at this point, I haven't talked about it before, but Sierra's theme, they have their own little audio theme, audio jingle at the beginning of all of their games. The Sierra fans know what I'm talking about. It is such an iconic bit of gaming music. And it's been done so well in all of its digital forms, right from internal speakers through to their late era where they're using proper sound cards. It's part of the video I'm going to link in the show notes as well. I just wanted to give it a shout out because it is such a classic piece of gaming music. Now, as for interesting tidbits, this game and its original sequel were both developed by Sierra in-house. The third game and onward from the series was actually created by a subsidiary that they bought up. Now, the third game followed the classic formula of the series with the puzzles and the progress and everything. But then it branched out into mini games and just you could tell kind of the focus on the series had gone down. It wasn't really a priority for them like it had used to be. It was almost an afterthought. Also, just a fun little personal anecdote is my first exposure to Dr. Brain, the character, actually came from the Hoyle card game series. My parents had a specific copy of it where it had characters from across the Sierra Adventure Game franchises. Kind of the multiverse of Sierra all sitting down to play different card games, Cribbage, Old Maid, Hearts, that kind of thing. And it was a great way because, of course, I knew Roger Wilco. I knew Laura Bow. I knew a lot of those other characters from it. You had that option, and then you also had basically old gangster type characters old 40s and 50s type characters on there as well both of which were entertaining as for influences i mean this this game came out in the early 90s and it really showed it was one of the earlier ones to show that educational games that can actually be fun that can be less focused on did you get the lesson did you understand what we're trying to teach you do you get it and more hey you're learning these things the stuff's in here you're going to have to learn it to solve the puzzle Let's give you some interesting puzzles, give you a fun framing device, and make it an interesting adventure for you. In terms of the, its biggest influence, I would personally argue that Microsoft's Encarta encyclopedia that they put out, there was a game in there called Mind Maze. Again, if you were around then, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It seems to have pulled from this somewhat, making they managed to make a digital encyclopedia fun. They created this maze, they created this basically pathway you had to go through and solve different trivias based on knowledge that would be in the encyclopedia almost like they wanted you to learn how to search through an encyclopedia especially a digital one which was a very new skill when that program first came out because up to then encyclopedias were all physical and you had at least some idea what you were looking for now the manual for this game has one or two interesting features the biggest one being that at the time the right side of it was actually cut into the shape of the castle on the opening screen which is fun Gives it some character, and of course, the manual is necessary in at least some form, even if you go to play today, because it has the copy protection key in there. So those keywords you get in the first zone, you need, and you need to translate them into the symbols to enter into the keypad to get to the second zone. So you need it for that as well, but otherwise you have that, you have the classified ad cutout, and that's about it really for world building in the, in the manual. Now, I don't know if I would recommend this game necessarily, only because it is relatively dated but if you want to see what basic skills you still have from your childhood that are still strong i say go for it otherwise maybe watch a playthrough if you really want to see how it works and a lot of that and the big upside of watching a playthrough would be that you don't have to deal with the elevators the elevators are one of the biggest things 
that this game did to just kind of pad out its time just to kind of make it feel like, okay, well, here's a big complex thing because we have mazes in all of the Sierra games of some sort. But they just took it a little too far. And so that's it for the Castle of Dr. Brain. I want to thank you for joining me this episode. And if you want to reach out, you can do that either on Twitter at Roadmap Podcast or come by the website roadmappodcast.com or even come chat on the Discord channel. Feel free to suggest some older games we should play, maybe share some of your favorite memories, especially of any edutainment games you played growing up, or even just ask some questions. I'm happy to answer them at all times. Don't forget to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, really wherever you get your podcasts. If you're not already subscribed, I encourage you to do so. Leave a review while you're there. Let some friends know about it if you think it's got something interesting for it. Next episode, we're going to be looking at the rise and fall and return of Big Huge Games. And that's before we look at really their crown jewel of a game, Rise of Nations. It's something that I played back in the day. It is this weird, awesome love child between Civilization, Risk, and Age of Empires. It was actually published by Microsoft Game Studios, so the Age of Empires Foundation doesn't sound too strange. I'm looking forward to getting back to this, but come back next time so we can start talking about it. And thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.